Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature my conversation with Caroline Clark. Caroline is an EMBA format student in our class of 2021, and she has the honor of being the first student from her class to be on the podcast. We recently sat down to talk a little bit more about her first leadership residency, LR1, what she's enjoyed about the program so far, how she decided to pursue an MBA, as well as her advice for prospective students. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Caroline Clark. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Brad. I'm so excited to be here. So we've reached a point with the podcast where people who have listened to the podcast are now in the program and would like to be on the podcast. So that feels affirming to me in some way. Yes, yes, that that is definitely um, a pool of people that I fall into. I was a diehard uh, podcast fan and just am really excited to be here today. So tell us a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. What's your background? Uh, what do you do? Sure. Um, my name is Caroline Clark. I am an EMBA student um, at Roslyn this year, class of 2021. And uh, I guess I'll start with time out of school and just move to present day uh, briefly. But I graduated from undergrad thinking I wanted to teach. I was pretty convinced I'd be a teacher. Um, looked at uh, studying abroad or really teaching abroad uh, English to different uh students in, in countries across the world and landed on Japan as a country to focus on. Uh, that landed, after some research, I went on to uh, teach in the JET program for a year in Japan and then moved, came back to the States after my contract ended, looking for different roles and um, in really the worst job market for a while, 2008, 2009, um, finally landed a role in my high school admissions team, uh, recruiting students to Madeira. Uh, and that was something that I really enjoyed doing, uh, but was interested in getting more on the corporate side of recruiting. And so from there, I've uh, spanned across industries as far as um, IT government contracting, hospitality, uh, most recently, I'm at the uh, a trade association, a financial uh, services trade association, uh, all in recruiting roles and um, bringing companies through different kinds of changes as it relates to talent. So that's been, in a nutshell, uh, my my history after school. So a pretty diverse background. Um, how, or I guess, how and when did you decide that uh, an MBA was the right step for you? Sure. Um, I think when I finally entered the corporate side of, uh, of my job history, starting with that IT government contracting role, I, I started to really appreciate, uh, the need for a business sense, uh, really regardless of whichever industry you were in or I was in. And so I didn't think the timing was quite right then. I was part of a, a company that was doubling in size and was just really busy, but had that in the back of my head. Um, so this is 2012 and um, went on to uh, a more corporate setting uh, outside of go government contracting with the hospitality company that was acquiring another 
uh, hospitality company when I came on board, was still thinking about it, even during all that change, was thinking, gosh, it would be so neat to be on the front lines of this acquisition. But knowing my skill set, I didn't have the the finance background to really be able to do that. So I was leading some of that change through recruitment and talent acquisition. And then finally, um, moving to uh, the trade association that I'm currently with, uh, finding that I had some more time uh, to devote to things outside of work and still having uh, the idea of an MBA in the back of my mind, uh, I, I finally took some time to research schools and Darden was, of course, on my, my radar. And I should mention, because I think this is like a story that others can relate to. This is uh, in 2015, my husband and I were remodeling our row home in D.C., and I had had enough of the dirt and the, you know, the dust and the just everything going on in the house. So I said, you have to take me out of the city for a weekend. We have to go down to Charlottesville and just get away. And I remember him asking him on the way out of town, back to back to uh, D.C., hey, could we just swing by Darden? I'd, I've always, you know, thought about what how cool it would be to get an MBA from Darden. And he, uh, you know, obliged me and, and, and drove through the campus. And I remember just like visualizing, like, it would be so neat to be a student here and someday, uh, get a degree from the school. So fast, that's 2015. I'm now in the class of 2021. And, um, it's a visualization that I feel like come true to some extent. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty great story. That sort of full circle of just visiting. This would be a great thing to do, and and now you're here. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think is is true is that you know when you start the program, it's a lot at the at the beginning. You know, Darden is not known for easing students in. Whether you're talking about the full time residential program or the executive MBA program, and I'm curious. You know, let's you know you've been through LR one, and now you're you're about halfway through quarter one or so, you've got a residency coming up. Um, I think in a couple weekends. Um, I'm curious, how, you know, how things are going, how you're feeling. Let's talk a little bit about the first leadership residency, though. Uh, you got to go to Charlotte. You got to go to Charlottesville. Spend a week there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that experience like? How would you describe it to someone uh, who doesn't know much about about what a leadership residency entails? Yeah, I. Um so the night before I went down to Charlottesville, um, this is over a month ago now, I just remember thinking, like, I haven't been to orientation for so long. You know, I mean, the last time, you know, outside of work orientation, when you start a new role, um, and, and not that LR1 is only orientation, but there's a good amount of time spent on that activity while you're in Charlottesville during that that week. And um, I just remember being, I think, a little bit nervous the night before. And then the next morning driving down there, getting more and more excited, like the closer I got to campus. And we all, those of us that drove, were parking in the garage and kind of finding each other and walking together to the building um, on campus there in Charlottesville. And it was, it's kind of like the realization of everything you've been working towards, whether you um, have started researching the school just a few weeks or months ago, or more similar to myself, it's been a year's in the progress in the making um, dream that's kind of coming true. 
And so, you know, it was, it was really neat to, we have, we had met each other in the different events in DC as classmates, but seeing all of us in one room and getting ready for the week and not really knowing what to expect, but hoping we were ready and thinking we were ready. Um, it was a neat vibe to, for all of us to experience, uh, for that week. And then orientation was Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I think Darden does a really good job of easing you into giving you time to meet one another and just the, uh, that the programming itself. And then Monday morning we started LR one with classes in the morning and the afternoon we had team activities and it was neat to meet our learning teams that we had heard so much about. It was neat as an EMBA student to find out where I was going on global residency uh, during my time at Darden. But uh, I guess I, the, the main theme here is you hear all about this, all these different things that you're going to experience. And LR1 was kind of the first realization of all that actually happening. That first day of school. And what I always think about is no matter whether you're you're seven years old or thirty seven years old, you're you're starting you know third grade or you're starting executive MBA program. The first day of school is always still the first day of school. Uh, you you know there's that little bit of nervousness that you can tell. Everybody's kind of feeling everybody out and meeting everybody for the first time. It's new new people, new environment. Um, it, there's a lot of excitement, but there's always that that tinge of nervousness too. Yeah, and I think what I really appreciated from Darden, uh, uh, I think he's our, our Dean, Dean Dieter, um, who is really our kind of Darden faculty point of contact for our class. I thought he gave a very uh, real and um, authentic presentation. I, I think it was the first um, programming piece that we had when we arrived to um, on site to Charlottesville and he kind of went right into the heart of like get vulnerable um, get authentic about who you are what you're bringing to the table and like no one's here by chance like we've all in different ways um, paved our path to this program or earned our spot and I thought that was a really I don't think a lot, I got the sense that not every program does that. Um, I could be wrong, but I really appreciated how upfront and authentic that felt. The thing that I really appreciated about his remarks, I mean, I thought he did a, did a fantastic job, but I, I think he acknowledged the thing that can sometimes be the elephant in the room with anybody in an MBA program. And that is, I do not deserve to be here. Everybody else deserves to be here, but I feel like I'm somehow an imposter here. And I think that's something that many MBA candidates, and that's full-time exec, struggle with. And he did a really nice job of acknowledging that feeling that he himself, he went to Harvard, um, felt that um, for a significant stretch of his first year as an MBA student. And so um, I think that's very important to acknowledge because certainly talked to a fair number of prospective students who are grappling with that very thing. They think everybody else is much more qualified than they are and don't see the value that they would bring. Right. so it's, it, you know, I thought that was one of the most effective parts of that. Absolutely. He kind of opened the door. I'm sure this was very intentional in his remarks, but I remember going into our learning team meetings and um, having team members and, and not just learning team, you know, across the class as well. when We were preparing for our first few um, days of our LR1 
in our first few classes at Darden, I think it gave everyone room to kind of say, I am nervous about this. And like, how can I better prepare? What do you know that could help me do better in class or in my learning team? And I, I really appreciated how authentic that felt. Some of the cases you read that week are uh, difficult cases, I think, is uh, a, a way to describe them. I always think about the uh, Safaricom case, which is pretty pretty classic LR1 stuff, which is super long. And uh, it's got a lot going on uh, in the case. Um, these are, for those of you who are, you know, who are wondering about why these cases are so tricky, you're reading a lot of enterprise cases, right? So there's a lot of different dimensions to the uh, to, to what's going on in these cases. So um, what were those first classes like? Safaricom was my very first class at Darden. Uh, so I can totally relate to everything you just, you just uh, mentioned. And the professor for Safaricom is so energetic and so passionate about the content and the area in which he teaches. Um, I, I mean, by the end of class, I think we all felt like... <laughs> We wanted to go and and work at Safaricom because we had all become so um, passionate about their their uh, trajectory as a company. But I just I had seen the case method in a class visit and knew it worked and saw the magic of it kind of in real time. But to be a student uh, and and actively participating or having the opportunity to actively participate. Uh, and just see all of that come back very quickly was, uh, it was a lot all at once, but in a really good way. Uh, I, I remember like his first question was a cold call to someone at the end of my row. I'm like, here we go. Like we are starting, like, there's no soft start here. Like it, it, it was the real deal, um, from the first second of the class. So, but it was, it was incredible even preparing for it. We met as a learning team to talk through some of the discussion questions and, uh, how, you know, how did you figure this out? This is how I figured out the evaluation. Is this what you got? And we all had different numbers. And I think even the number we finally all worked through in class was different than what any of us got, but we had all at least had a method to get to a solution. And I think that's a lot of what what I'm learning at Darden, uh, even if you're, it's teaching you how to think really effectively. And that's, that's been true of just about every class we've had so far. It's about process, you know, how you approach a particular problem. And I think, I think about the classes and the iterative nature of what you're doing. It's about continually refining that, that process by, you know, seeing, listening to what's going on in class, the perspectives that your classmates bring and sort of incorporating all that in, into the framework that you're using. Yeah. Um, so for uh, folks who may be wondering, uh, what's the Safaricom case about? Oh, my goodness. So Safaricom is a, is a comp, I hope I'm going to, uh, remember all of this accurately. <laughs> Safaricom is a company that started in one space, um, within telecoms and, uh, in Kenya. And they were doing really well there, but wanted to, uh, spread their business to other company or to countries rather. And they were finding that they were really more successful geographically staying in Kenya than diversifying uh, to these other locations. And then uh, 
what's so so by telecoms, what I mean is a, a pay as you go model for cell phones. Um, you can pay per second up front or as as you use those seconds on a on a mobile phone uh, to the company, which was a different model than a lot of other cell phone companies at the time. Other companies caught on and were starting to replicate that model. And they were losing, Safaricom was losing market share, as I remember. And so they were starting to offer new services, but not being really as effective in, in those other sectors. And so I think in, in all of these challenges, they were, uh, in a nutshell, trying to figure out, like, what is their true identity? Like, what did, what, who are we as a company? And, um, the, so that was, the situation for Safaricom, the case was, I want to say he was a hedge fund manager deciding for his clients whether to invest in Safaricom or not. And so at the end of the case, you're asked, would you, if you were this hedge fund manager, invest in, in Safaricom or advise your clients to do so? And the room, it was funny at the beginning, everyone was on, on board. And then as we talked through the risk and not knowing the, the landscape of the market and the market was changing, what will the future look like? Not to say everyone's thinking changed, but everyone was taking in this new information to make different decisions. Like, yeah, maybe I would do it, but these would be my contingencies or absolutely not. I was a yes, but now I'm a no, which is true. I've seen that in other cases. So uh, classes so far at Darden. Uh, just your mind is kind of is changed as you hear more input and get deeper into the case. So just being open to that and different ways of thinking. Um, how, how have you uh, been surprised by your classmates or what do you feel like just even in this early stage? How do you, how do you feel like they've shaped your learning? What have they contributed to, to what you've gotten out of the classes? Wow. Um, that's a really good question. I think um, for me, I've and I feel like I've been granted the same. I'll call it grace from from my uh, classmates. You think you know like what they're about, what your classmates are about to say, or um, you, you you kind of are. Uh, I think listening, but trying to think about how that how whatever their input is matches up with your own thinking or doesn't. And for me, I think what I've learned is you can't make any assumptions as to what someone's going to, to contribute. And what I mean by that is, I remember we were talking about risk in a class and this one person had his hand up for a long time. And I was kind of like, whatever point he's going to bring up, like we're past it, you know, we're, we're already, there's not going to be much here that we're going to hear that's new information. And when he finally spoke, he said, you know, I'm in healthcare and risk is not like a number. It's, it's a life or death situation, you know, whether, uh, you know, project X is going to succeed or not, um, in real time when it comes to my day to day. And I just remember thinking like, I can't assume that I'll know what my classmates are thinking or how they're interpreting the, com the information that we're being given and to stay open in my listening and uh, just make no assumptions, really. It's a long way to say that. <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, that's as important as anything. I mean, I think what we try, what we try to share with prospective students is that the, the, the learning experience here requires you to both feel like you have a perspective to share, but also be open to other people's perspectives. Uh, so the ability to both listen and speak up 
And uh, sometimes people are comfortable with one and not the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really have to be able to do both both things here. Um, you also had a case competition uh, during LR1. Um, for those of you who are wondering, uh, what's a case competition? It's a sort of a problem uh, that teams are working on, um, you know, developing a solution and then and typically pitching uh, their solution or solutions to the problem. Um, what was the problem you worked on? So we were faced with uh, the, the problem of getting, quote unquote, more butts and seats when it came to the football stadium in Charlottesville. To be fair, college, atten- college football attendance across the nation has been decreasing. So UVA is not unique in that sense. But with the new athletic director coming on board, uh, she has a, a keen focus in that area and turned to uh, her direct reports as well as, as Darden to present some solutions. Was it a problem that you enjoyed thinking about? I mean, had you been to a UVA football game or how did you orient to, you know, UVA sports? Yeah, I, I've never been to a UVA football game. I've been to other college football games. So I pulled on that experience as limited as it may be. But um, I, I, what I really appreciated about the case competition, it was a real problem that like one night we went to the stadium and, and saw some of the, um, the layout limitations so that if you were looking to blow out the stadium and add this, that, and the other, uh, seeing how difficult that would be in real time or how costly that could be in, you know, in real life, seeing it for yourself. So, and, and I think also the fact that it was a, it was a problem or a situation that was very of the moment and in, in process of being solved. It wasn't a hypothetical or, you know, in five years we might get to this. It was very, you know, of the moment to try to get a resolution. So what was your team's recommendation? Not to put you totally on the spot. I mean, maybe you also recommended that they start 4-0 and be ranked in the top 20. That's an easy way to sell tickets. But um, I'm curious about, you know, I feel like in some level we've all been to ticketed events. We have some ideas as to how you might be able to boost attendance. What did your What did your uh, team come up with? Sure. So we focused, we kind of had a three-prong approach time frame-wise. Um and just general thinking. Uh, so the first was short term, get more tickets sold by revamping the website. Uh, r- right now, when we went online, it was a lot of scrolls to get to the, the ticket button and try to get some different packages in there. So we had more repeat ticket buyers um, with, with a little bit less effort on um on the school's part or the the ticket department's part. And the second phase was developing more marketing strategy around bringing folks from outside of Charlottesville to um, the town and to a game. Uh, My idea was (laughs) I really enjoyed our time at the, um, the Colony Club and hey, could we do a, a brunch and game situation and open it up to uh, more more ticket holders? Another uh, member of the team was interested in pairing up with a winery and having kind of that uh, attraction as part of the game day experience, so to speak. And then long term, I, I think we put together uh, some numbers that reflected if we could get more season ticket holders over time, that was really the best avenue as far as getting butts and seats. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like long-term what our thought was. 
but the we actually uh, team team Martin uh, was the finalist, which uh, was not my learning team, but I was part of the. There was four different teams within our our class, and um, the the team we sent to the final ended up winning the competition, which was great. And they focused a lot on social media and and the website piece, a lot of low cost, low hanging fruit. I think, and, and they were really smart to do that because I think it spoke it spoke to the judges. Yeah, and the judges were faculty, and I think weren't there also some folks from the athletic department that actually came and listened to the presentation, right? That's right, that's right. One of which uh, the CFO is a Darden alum, so that was neat to see. Yeah, so um, so very full week. Um, so you're now in quarter one. You've had your first weekend residency, which is always exciting. Um, what was that weekend like? It was really exciting. Um, I think I liken it to LR1 as far as like you're a little bit nervous, but mostly excited. I was excited to see my learning team again and classmates in general. Uh, we got through a lot of content. I think Saturdays are um, maybe I'll maybe my thinking will change here, but they are long, uh, jam-packed days in a really good way. It's a lot of content um, starting at 8 a.m. and going until 5 or 6. But it's also a great day as far as catching up with classmates, um, revisiting material that you've prepared on your own, and being able to talk about uh, the different uh, assignments in class that you've been preparing for a number of days. So I think the hardest part coming out of the weekend is that Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, where you... um, just being realistic, you have to turn it all back over again as far as like it's Monday at work. I missed Friday. I have to catch up and get ahead. And then Tuesday night, you're back online with class. So I think that's going to be the area I need to focus on as far as um, momentum and just sustaining. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting that you that you bring that up. I mean, I think most students would say uh, Saturday does uh, feel like the longest day. And, and so for our listeners who are less familiar with the schedule, uh, Fridays start around noon, although there is a brunch lunch service uh, from 11 to, to noon and then class kicks off after a brief homeroom uh, meeting. And then you have class till about 5.30, 6 o'clock on that first day. Uh, the second day is about 8 to 5, 5.30. And so um, that's a full day to Caroline's point. And then s- Sunday, uh, day three, 8 to about 2.30, 3 o'clock. But uh, I've been around for enough of these at this point to know uh, that by the time you get to Sunday, people are moving a little bit slower. Um, it's been a pretty pretty full weekend at that point. And one of the things that is true um, our previous our previous schedule used to be Thursday through Saturday. And you know, talking with some of the alumni who knew that schedule, they were saying, oh, that buffer day was all, always nice, right? Just having nothing to do on Sunday. But the trade-off, obviously, was you had a, a few more days out of, out of the office. And so uh, we've listened to the market. We've listened to students. It seems like Friday, Saturday, Sunday works best in terms of minimizing days away from the office. But uh, ultimately, you know, there is, an, I think, an adjustment process. Like, how do you manage this experience? How do you manage manage your time? Right, right. And I think we're all working through that right now. Um, I, you know, I feel like, right, I know long term, I can't do every assignment. I can't do every discussion question. But, and I know part of this program is learning what you need to know going into a class to be successful and to uh 
make or retain the information that your professor is looking for you to um, to learn and and uh, understand long term. So. I'm still getting into the swing of what can I let go and not to say not worry about or not look at it all, but, but be able to have a little bit more prioritization. And uh, I think that'll be useful long-term. That is probably one of the, the more challenging things for people to sort of adjust to. I've had several conversations with, with current students about this, this filtering that you have to do. Uh, you know, what do I need to know to be ready for class and what is overkill and just sort of, you know, how do I develop that sort of feel takes a while and, you know, being okay with occasionally letting some things drop, which can be very hard for the kind of person that is considering, you know, doing a program like this or is in a program like this. Um, but it can be a helpful lesson longer term, you know, if you're going to manage people, if you're going to be a busy, you know, leader, manager, executive at, at some point in your career, you can't do everything all the time. And so, um, you have to figure out prioritization to your earlier point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting good at saying no to, um, some commitments. And I know I still have to work on the pr- prioritization of, of homework, uh, as a whole. So we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and it takes, you know, it takes a while. I always ask students, you know, how long and, uh, before they felt like they had a schedule together that kind of made sense and they'd figured out how to manage it and work and life and everything. And most people say about six months, some have said longer, um, depending on what they had going on in their life and how variable it was from month to month. I think some people feel like every quarter is a, is a new adventure. So, um, but you know, we tell people just to hang in there. Mm-hmm. It will it will slow down. It will it will get less less busy. So, um, well, Caroline, what are you most excited about? You know, you're you're just getting started here. You've got LR one behind you, halfway through uh, quarter one. Uh, what do you what are you hoping to accomplish in the program? What are you what are you excited about? Yeah, um, I love that our personal advancement course is one of our first classes um, that we take. Th- uh, this term uh, along with decision analysis and then our glo- global economies uh, uh, class as well. So professional advancement, I think there's a lot of useful information in that class as far as self-assessments, peer assessments, hearing from your classmates as to what they're looking to uh, do in the future professionally and otherwise. I mean, there's, I, I think what Darden makes very clear up front, I'm only a little over a month in the program is it's about like you as a whole person. It's not just you and your professional life from nine to five. So that class has been just so far really instrumental in giving me space and time to think about that. And, you know, what does the future look like and how does Darden uh, help get me there? Uh, and, and that is complemented by our career advising uh, sessions. I've had two of those so far with Sarita, who's been so helpful and just really an incredible listener, but then also has great guidance and advice. So uh, with our time together, actually today, I just uh, spoke with different students in the class or my fellow classmates in regards to their career, how they got to where they are today, and just you know, learning more about what they're interested in doing in the future, which I think will helps inform you know, my vision as far as what I would like to do um, 
as far as career trajectory as well. So, so professional advancement's been huge. And then the global residency, I mean, that's hard not to get excited about. We're actually all texting a group of us uh, to buy our, our tickets for China that's coming up in March. And I know that's going to be here before we, we know it, but that's, that's another huge highlight that I'm excited for. Yeah, the professional advancement course uh, moved to quarter one. It used to be in the middle of the program, which was which was fine. Um, I think we started to feel that it, given that the choice to come to school is a professional decision, it's in service of your career and your professional goals. Certainly at this at this point, uh, and really any MBA experience is about a, a career uh, goal. Um, it made sense to have it at the very outset of the program. So you're there with Connie. Uh, Whitaker Dunlop, friend of the podcast, uh, in the professional advancement course, PAC as it is known, and really thinking about these big questions. You know, why am I here? What do I hope to accomplish? You know, where do I where do I want to go? Who can help me along the way? Um, it's all good stuff. So, um, Caroline, what's one piece of advice? I feel like this is this this is a classic question of the podcast. We always ask this of everybody who comes on. Uh, what's one piece of advice you'd have for prospective students? And it can be, you know, you know, how does somebody think through an MBA or to go to go back to school or, you know, timing or why Darden? What's what's a piece of advice? Yes, I was ready for this question because I do listen to the podcast and I wanted um, I was trying to add to just some great advice. That so many people have given um, over the couple of episodes or many episodes that you've had now. Um Mine, then this was emphasized in our PAC course um, last last on ground weekend. Uh, I would say getting an MBA or, you know, it's such a big decision. And I think when when you're looking to go back to school at this stage in your career, you've been in it for five, six, seven, maybe 10, 15 years. And I think that we've all adjusted to fitting into some sort of box uh, to be really easily understood or maybe recognizable or or from a branding uh, perspective, uh, easy to to immediately comprehend, you know, what your skill set is and what you're interested in doing long term. And for me, Darden's kind of like undone that box, even just a few weeks into the program. Um, everything that I would, I think, not to say like um, uh, scale back as far as like what you know information I would share for, about my background, but I would find that I would leave out that I had taught English in Japan when I was applying to roles in the past, and I'm like, why would I do that? That makes me different. And people, whenever I mention it here on uh, on grounds or to classmates at Darden, like that's what they want to hear more about. So. My piece of advice, my really long-winded way of saying it is, like, be authentically yourself. Everything that makes you different, I think, really adds to the the Darden experience. I think this is a program that doesn't have one mold um, that, you know, that that, that uh, we is targeted or one background that works best for the program. I think it's that diversity of backgrounds that makes the experience so valuable and uh, so incredible. Then that's just a few weeks in, I'm already feeling that. So be yourself throughout the admissions process um, while you're researching schools, while you're researching Darden, be yourself once you're on board and in class. And I think you can't go wrong. 
that is great advice. It also conveniently aligns well with what we encourage candidates to do, and that is to be themselves throughout this process. I think there's a tendency, um, this is not the case for everybody, but I think many, many applicants oftentimes when they're working on their materials and sort of thinking about how to present themselves, they think about us too much, they, you know, what we might want to hear about or what we might want to read in an essay. And the more important thing is to think about what you want to convey about who you are. And, you know, think about the application as an initial introduction, something that should pique our interest enough to say, hey, this is someone I'd like to talk to a little bit more. And that's where the, where the interview comes in. So the best way to do that is to be truly who you are because we want as many different people as possible in the classroom. It makes the case method in those discussions that much richer. So great advice. An old admissions person too. So <laughs> that's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> well, Caroline, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. It's, it's been a pleasure and uh, congratulations on being the first member of your class on the exec MBA podcast. Thank you. Truly a dream come true. So thank you so much for having me. And that was my conversation with Caroline Clark, an Info Format student in our class of 2021. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA, darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening.